السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد ونصلی علی رسوله الكریم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشیطان الرجیم بسم الله الرحمن الرحیم رب اشرح لي صدری ويسر لي امری واحلل عقدۃ من لسانی یفقهوا قولی ربنا زدنا علما باب نمبر 55 اذا لم يتم الامام واتم من خلفه but before this we learned about when is it that the person who's praying behind the imam when should he do sajda And in that was a question about when to say salam. That when the imam says salam, are you supposed to say the salam immediately after or along with him or once he ends the taslim? When is it that the ma'moom should say the taslim? In this regard, remember, imam is supposed to be followed. And what that means is you don't do the action with the imam, rather you do it after him. Right? So for example, when he's going down into sajda. When is it that the ma'moom should do sajda? When the imam is already in prostration. So when he goes down, he's in sajda, then it is that the people behind him should start going down into sajda. So likewise, with regards to taslim, how will it be done? When the imam says the taslim, when he's done, then the people behind him will do taslim. Now there are two ways of doing this. Either you take each salam separately, or you... take both of them together as you know one act of worship so if you take them as separate acts of worship then what will happen once the imam has said his taslim on the right side and he begins a second one then the ma'mum should begin the first one you understand no okay so the imam says assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah right side and then he goes on to his left side assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah now when he goes on to his left side when he begins a second taslim then the ma'moom should begin their first taslim. You understand? This is one way. And the other way is that after the imam says both the salam, then the ma'moom will do his both salam. Alright? But remember, there should not be too long of a gap. Because sometimes it happens, imam says the salam, and we are reciting our duas. Right? So if you're in the middle of a dua, and you can finish it, go ahead and do it. But if you haven't even started it, And the imam has already said the salam, and then you start saying your dua, it will take long. So what is best? That the action of the ma'moom should follow immediately after the action of the imam. The words, then you have to follow the words. So you hear him saying, As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, don't go to the salam, don't turn to your right first, immediately. When you hear him say the second taslim, then you do the first taslim. Bab, إِذَا لَمْ يُتِمَّ الْإِمَامُ وَأَتَمَّ مَنْ خَلْفَهُ إِذَا لَمْ يُتِمَّ When he does not complete. Who? Al-Imam, the Imam. So the Imam does not complete something. Wa-atamma. And he has to complete who? Man khalfahu. Those who are behind him. Meaning, if the Imam leaves something from the prayer. So what is meant by this is that if the Imam leaves something out from the prayer, why would he leave it out? Out of forgetfulness? And sometimes, also deliberately. Hmm? In the sense that he is reminded, but still he doesn't listen. So he keeps going and he leaves something out. Then those who are praying behind him, what are they supposed to do? Follow the imam and leave out what he left? Or do they have to perform it? They have to perform it. In that way, in that regard, they're not going to follow the imam. So for example, the imam, what he does is that he just goes down into sajda. He just says, Allahu Akbar, and immediately he gets up. And you don't hear him saying, Subhanahu Rabbi Al-A'la at all. 
Okay? Now, if you get up before saying anything, without saying anything, and for every sajda, every rukur, this is the trend, then your, your sajda, your rukur, it's not according to the sunnah. Right? So in that case, what are you going to do? You are going to complete that act of prayer, even if the imam left it. Alright? Likewise, the imam is not raising his hands. You understand? The imam is not raising, and this happens many times. There are people who don't do raf al-yadain during their salah. So he's left it out. Now, those who are following the imam, they know the sunnah. Should they still raise their hands? Yes, they will. They have to. Okay? Likewise, uh, the imam recites only surah al-fatiha in the first and second rakah. Only surah al-fatiha. And he's reciting out loud. He doesn't recite any surah after that. And he goes down into rukur. And this is his way. He only recites surah al-fatiha. Now those who are praying behind him, are they going to leave out a part of the prayer? No. They are going to perform it. إِذَا لَمْ يُتِمَّ الْإِمَامُ وَأَتَمَّ مَنْ خَلْفَهُ Those who are behind him, they have to complete it. Now remember that there are two kinds of actions that the imam could leave out. One is an action which... If a person leaves out in his prayer, it's not going to make the prayer invalid. The prayer is still valid. It's it's a sunnah act or it's a, a mustahab. Okay. So, for example, in sajda, you say Subhanahu Rabbi al-Arla, Subhanahu Rabbi al-Arla, Subhanahu Rabbi al-Arla, and there are many more adhkar that you can say, right? Now, if the if the imam his sajda is just long enough to say Subhanahu Rabbi al-Arla, let's say three times, that is. Okay, if he's not making a long sajda. You understand? So, in that case, what will you do? Continue to follow the imam. Because what he has left out will not make the prayer invalid. But, if he leaves something out, and that will make the prayer invalid. Like for example, he skips the rukur. He skips the sajda. He misses an entire rakah. Then in that case the ma'moom will give the benefit of the doubt to the imam that he has forgotten. Okay? And what will the ma'moom do? Remind the imam. How? The men will say subhanallah, the women will clap. Now there's more details to this, okay, as to how they will remind and what happens if he doesn't listen. And if he, let's say the imam is reminded, yet he doesn't listen, he carries on, then in that case, will the prayer be valid? Would it be valid? Think about it. He did not recite Surah Al-Fatiha at all. Is the rakar valid? He did not do rukur at all. Is the rakar valid? He's not sitting for tashahud. And the people behind him are saying, Subhanallah, Subhanallah. Women are clapping. And he doesn't listen. He carries on. And at the end also, he doesn't do any sajda sahab. He doesn't make up that rakar. Now, let's say it's too late to go back. I mean, he forgot the rukur. He went into sajda. By the time he got up from his second sajda, he realized, oh, this is why they're saying subhanallah. It's too late. So then what is necessary? That at the end, make up another rakah and do sajda sahab. But let's say the imam doesn't listen at all. He doesn't get it. He doesn't listen. Then in that case, what will happen? The ma'moom, he's not going to follow the imam anymore. He's going to carry on with his own salah. You understand? He's going to carry on with his own salah. Now there is more details to this, in which case, what will be done, alright? And inshallah we'll study all those details. But this is just an overview. That if the imam is making a mistake, what's the responsibility of the ma'moom? Remind him. If he gets it, alhamdulillah. Doesn't get it, doesn't listen, then in that case the ma'moom has to complete the prayer. 
Okay, so for example, he carries on with the imam until the end of the prayer, but the imam is not standing up to make up the rakah, and he's not doing any sajda saho. Then the ma'moom is just going to make up his own rakah after. Inshallah, we'll look at the details of this. Okay? حدثنا الفضل بن سهل قال حدثنا الحسن بن موسى الأشيب قال حدثنا عبد الرحمن بن عبد الله بن دينار عن زيد بن أسلم عن عطاء بن يسار عن أبي هريرة أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال يصلون لكم They pray for you Meaning the imam They pray for you In other words on your behalf فإن أصابوا If they are correct Meaning if they perform the salah correctly فلكم then for you, what does that mean? Meaning you also have the reward. So for example, the imam is reciting Surah Al-Fatiha out loud. According to many scholars, the ma'moom doesn't have to recite Surah Al-Fatiha on his own, behind him. Okay, in the first and second rakah. Because imam is reciting for who? For everybody. Right? So falakum, then for you is also reward. in akhta'u. But if they make a mistake, who? The imam makes a mistake. Then, falakum, then for you, meaning you will have reward for what? For what you do. So for example, imam made a mistake. He didn't recite Surah Al-Fatiha at all. Okay? But you recited it. You didn't follow the imam in that. You recited Surah Al-Fatiha. Then for you is reward of what? What you performed. And wa'alayhim. And against them, there's a difference between lakum and alayhim. Lakum means you will have reward. Alayhim means it is against them. Meaning, they will have the sin. The sin will be on them. Of what? Of the mistake that they have made. Okay? Of the error that they have committed. So what do we learn from this hadith? The main lesson is that if the imam gets it right, meaning... He performs the salah properly without any errors. Then the reward is for who? For the imam and also for those who are following him. Meaning both will have reward. Alright? But if the imam makes a mistake, then for the ma'moom is reward. Reward for what? For his correct salah. But this is in the case where the ma'moom will actually perform that action. Not that he will follow the imam in error. You understand? I mean, if the mistake of the imam is clear to the ma'moom, then what should the ma'moom do? Correct the imam. Alright? And he should not follow the imam in the error. Alright? If the imam is leaving something out, he's making a mistake, the ma'moom still has to perform that particular action. And when he will perform it, then he will have the reward. And for them is sin, meaning for the imam is sin for leaving it out. So khata is for the one who committed the khata. Now, what does this mean? That the prayer of the imam and the prayer of those praying behind him. So the prayer of the imam and the prayer of the ma'moom. There is a connection between the two. What is that connection? How much of the imam's prayer affects the prayer of the ma'moom? Does it have any effect at all? Or does it have no effect? There is difference of opinion amongst the scholars concerning the effect of the imam's prayer on the prayer of those who are praying behind him. The first opinion is that there is no connection between the two, meaning each is praying individually, his own account. The imam's prayer is for him and the ma'moom's prayer is for him. There is no connection. 
So if the imam's prayer, it breaks, it gets nullified, it doesn't make a difference to the ma'mum's prayer at all. The imam makes a mistake, it doesn't affect the ma'mum at all. That's his fault, that's his sin. Not the sin of those who are following him. You understand? Clear? Okay. Another opinion is, and this is the opinion of Imam Shafi'i, of the Shafi'i school of thought. According to the Hanafi school of thought, it is said that the Imam's prayer and the Ma'mum's prayer is very much connected. So what that means is, if the Imam makes a mistake, or if there is a fault in the prayer of the Imam, that same effect will also happen to the prayer of the Ma'mum. So for example, if the Imam breaks his wudu during the prayer, then all the people praying behind him, their prayer is also invalid. You understand? If the imam starts talking, I mean something outside of salah during the prayer, he starts laughing, then the prayer of the people behind him, invalid. You understand? Okay. Third opinion is that the prayer of the imam and the prayer of the ma'mum, yes, they are connected. But the imam's prayer only affects the ma'mum's prayer in certain cases, not in all cases, in certain cases. This is the opinion of uh, the, the Maliki school of thought, um, Hanbali school of thought, and also the opinion of Ibn Taymiyyah. That there is a connection, the imam's prayer does have an effect on the ma'mum's prayer, but only in certain situations. Alright? Now what are those situations? It is when the imam is deliberately, I mean, doing something wrong, alright? And the people are following him, knowingly. Knowingly. Then in that case, the imam's prayer is invalid, and the ma'mum's prayer will also be invalid. Ibn Taymiyyah said, the prayer of the one who is praying behind an imam is not necessarily invalidated as soon as the imam's prayer becomes invalidated. Because if the one who is praying behind him does his prayer properly, fulfilling all of its conditions and doing all of its essential and obligatory parts, it is not permissible to regard it as invalid except with some sound evidence. So for example, the imam, he breaks his wudu. Now the people who are praying behind him, they didn't break their wudu. Why should their prayer be invalid? You understand? So what will happen? The imam, he broke his wudu. Now obviously he's not praying anymore. The people who are behind him, what are they going to do? They're going to continue their prayer. How? Either individually, or one of them will step forward and lead the rest in prayer. You understand? So in this case, there's no effect. You understand? There's no effect over here. Ibn Taymiyyah said, uh, with regards to the hadith that we learned earlier, that this is a text which shows that if the imam makes a mistake, it is his responsibility. And not that of those who are praying behind him. Okay? Shaykh Asadi said, the correct view is that the prayer of the one who is praying behind an imam is not rendered invalid in all cases. It is not rendered invalid in all cases. If the prayer of the imam becomes invalid, even if the imam's prayer became invalid during the prayer and he exited it, the one who is praying behind the imam may carry on with his prayer either on his own or one of them may lead the, may lead the rest in the prayer. And this is a strong report from Imam Ahmad and this is the opinion that is held by many scholars and this has weight to it. 
So what do we understand then? That of the three opinions, which one is the strongest? The third one. That the imam's prayer does have an effect, but only in certain cases. Now, there are certain cases in which if the prayer of the imam is invalid, then the prayer of those behind him is also invalidated. And these are two cases. First of all, the case where the error of the imam, the mistake of the imam is obvious to those who are behind him. It is known. It is obvious. It is not hidden. Now, let's say there is a person who is leading people in prayer. He breaks his wudu. And only he knows about it. The rest of the people have no idea. Now, he is praying. His, he continues with the prayer. He is praying his salah without wudu. Is the salah valid? No. But the people who are praying behind him, they don't know that Imam is making such a big mistake. He's committing such a big sin. They have no idea. Now in this case, the Imam's prayer is invalid for sure. But the people who are praying behind him, is their prayer invalid? No. No, not at all. Because they're praying with wudu. But if the mistake of the Imam is obvious to the people who are praying behind him. So for example, the Imam laughed out loud, loudly. And I mean, people who are praying behind him, they heard it. They heard that laughter. And we know that such laughter breaks the prayer. Is the mistake obvious? It is obvious. Now, the imam, his prayer is invalid. But let's say he disregards that completely and he carries on with the prayer. Okay? Now, the people who are praying behind him, they know that the imam's prayer is invalid. Should they follow him? They should not follow him. If they still follow him, then is their prayer valid? No. Because they're following someone whose prayer is not valid. Do you see what I mean? Now, what should they do? They should carry on on their own. But let's say they don't. They carry on after that imam whose prayer is not valid. Then in that case, their prayer is not valid either. If they carry on on their own, then is their prayer valid? If they carry on on their own, then their prayer is valid. Alright? Likewise, the imam is not facing the qibla. He's not facing the qibla. His awrah is not covered. Hmm? He does not recite Surah Al-Fatiha at all. Okay? Now, these are errors which will invalidate the prayer. Alright? And these are errors which are obvious to the people who are praying behind the imam. So if they keep following him, despite these errors, then the prayer of the imam is invalid, and the prayer of the people praying behind him is also invalid. So is it clear? A very important life lesson also, that follow someone only when they're doing something right. If they're making a mistake, clearly wrong, then no matter who they are, you will not follow them. Right? With all due respect, you're not going to follow them that how important the imam's responsibility is and how conscious he should be, right? I mean, a child's case is slightly different because we do learn from a hadith where I mentioned to you the incident where the companion, he was very young, only six or seven years of age and he used to lead the people in prayer and his clothes were so short that when he would go into sajda, his back would show. So one day a woman, she got very upset and she said, won't you get something to cover the behind of this child? So then everybody got together and they bought a cloth for him. But we see that they continue to pray behind him. Now again, you see, if it happens unconsciously, the imam doesn't know. 
And this is in the case where he's wearing clothes. I mean, he made sure his shirt was tucked in properly. Uh, he didn't think his aura would show. But let's say he goes down into sajda and then it shows. And he doesn't have any idea. He doesn't know. It may happen. Right? It was a mistake. But if he started off with shorts that are above his knees, he started the prayer wearing those shorts, then that's not right. I mean, realize that their salah is invalid. And if you still follow them, despite the fact that their error is clear to them, their salah will not be valid in those clothes and they're still praying in those clothes and you follow them, when their prayer is not valid, then your prayer will not be valid either. So in that case, you don't you don't pray behind them. Alright, so this was one case in which if the imam's prayer is invalid, then the people who are praying behind him, their prayer will also be invalid. What is this case? When the mistake is obvious and known and the people behind don't correct him and they carry on. Okay? The second is... Uh, which is according to many scholars, and we discussed this earlier, that if uh, there passes between a person and his sutra, a dog, a donkey, or a woman between the imam and his sutra, then the imam's prayer is made invalid. Right? According to many scholars, this is the opinion. And when his prayer will be invalid, then the prayer of the people behind him will also be invalid. Why? Because the sutra of the imam is the sutra of those who are following him. So in this case, it's like, uh, even though a person is standing five rows behind the imam, it's as though the dog passed immediately in front of him. Because this is sutra of imam works as a sutra of the people who are behind him. So in this case, the salah will be affected. But besides these two, these two situations, the, the prayer, uh, the, if, if the imam's prayer is made invalid, then the people who are praying behind him, their prayer does not automatically become invalid. Now, if the imam makes a mistake, then what is it that the ma'mum has to do? He has to? Correct the imam. How? By saying, subhanAllah, the women will clap. But let's say the imam is not understanding what he's being told. Alright? So for example, he missed the rukur completely. Okay? And he's going down into sajda. And the people start saying, subhanAllah, subhanAllah, subhanAllah. And he's like, what's going on? He's just, he's just fixed in sajda. He's not understanding. So then in this case, they will remind him of the act that he has missed by the particular supplication of that act. So for example, they will say, Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim. You understand? They will say, Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim. So that he understands, oh, I missed rukur. If he forgot sajda, they will say, Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la. If he went straight from rukur into sajda, they will say, Samiyallahu liman hamidah. Okay? You understand? They will say something so that he will remember. If he missed the sitting between two prostrations, they will say, Rabbi khfirli, Rabbi khfirli, so that he, he can understand what he missed out on. Now, depending on where exactly they are in prayer, uh, the imam will then decide to either perform that rukun immediately, what he missed, or make up that rakah at the end. You understand? This is just like if you make a mistake in prayer, what do you do? If you can actually fix that, during the salah you fix it. But you can't really go back, reverse, right, from a sitting position to rukur. You can't do that. So in this case, what are you going to do? You're going to make up that entire rakah at the end. So this is exactly what the imam will do and the people behind him will follow. All right.
Now, if the imam is making a mistake and the people behind him do not realize, hmm? let's say he missed a complete rak'ah and the people behind him didn't realize either, then remember that the prayer of both is valid. It is valid. Why? Because he didn't realize and they didn't realize. But let's say there is a person watching them from outside and he comes in after the prayer and he says, you guys prayed only three rak'ah. And in that case, what will they do? They will stand, pray the rak'ah, and do the sajda sahu. Okay. If the imam is making a mistake, and the people behind him do realize that he's making a mistake, and they don't tell him. They don't tell him. So in other words, they keep following him. Then the imam's prayer is valid, but the ma'moom's prayer is not valid. Because he was making a mistake, right? Unknowingly, forgetfulness. And they are deliberately doing something wrong. You understand? So the imam's prayer is valid, but the people who are praying behind him, their prayer is not valid. So if ever you are standing behind an imam, and he's making a mistake, and uh, nobody, you're standing like 50 rows behind the imam, and there's no way that you can tell him. So don't keep following Alright? You can't do that. Thirdly, if the imam is making a mistake and the people behind him do realize, alright? They do realize that the imam is making a mistake and they do not follow him. So for example, they get up from the fourth rakah, the sajda, in order to sit for the shahud. The imam, instead of sitting for the shahud, he gets up to make another rakah. Fifth rakah. Now the people who are praying behind him, they realize that, no, no, this was the fourth rakah. So what do they do? They sit down and they do their tashahud. You understand? They sit down and they do their tashahud. So in that case, what's happening? Their prayer is valid. Is the imam's prayer valid? If he didn't realize, it is valid. But when he gets up and there are people saying, subhanAllah, and they're sitting behind and they're sitting and he sees you know, from the corner of his eyes that people are sitting, then what is he supposed to do? Sit down and the prayer. But if he doesn't, then, I mean, his prayer is invalid because he is adding to the prayer deliberately while realizing he's making a mistake. Alright? And he's adding to the prayer, he's doing something that is not part of the sharia. And that has no value because remember the hadith that whoever does an action that is not part of this matter of ours, then it will be rejected. So that prayer is invalid. But let's say the imam is confident that no, this is the fourth rakah. He is confident then in that case, he completes the prayer as, you know, with five rakah because he thinks it's four. And at the end, there is an argument and back and forth and discussion. And then he's like, okay, you're right. Then he understands later. In that case, is his prayer still valid? Yes, it is. Because he was genuinely making a mistake. It was not a deliberately wrong action. Clear? Okay. Shaykh Nusaymin was asked if the Imam prays five rakah by mistake, what is the ruling on his prayer and the prayer of those behind him? He replied, if the Imam prays five rakah by mistake, then his prayer is valid. And the prayer of those who follow him by mistake or out of ignorance is valid too. Because both are genuinely making a mistake. رَبَّنَا لَا تُؤَخِذْنَا إِنَّ نَسِينَا أَوْ أَخْطَأْنَا But if a person knows that it is an extra rakah, when the Imam stands up for the extra rakah, he should sit and say the salam. Who? The ma'moom, because he knows the imam is making a mistake. 
Because in this case, he believes that his imam's prayer has become invalid unless he's afraid that his imam has stood up for an extra rakah because he failed to recite al-fatiha or something like that in one of the rakahs. In that case, he should wait and not say the salam. Meaning, there is a reason for him to believe that the imam is making up a rakah. Not that he is praying a fifth rakah, but he is just making up a rakah. Okay? So let's say in his third rakah, imam did not recite Surah Al-Fatiha. And you have a feeling he didn't recite. Why? Because he went down very quickly. Then in that case, fourth rakah, when you're getting up from sajda, imam stands up and you say, subhanallah, or a woman claps, but the imam, he insists on performing that rakah, then you understand that, oh, he must be completing his rakah. He must be performing it again. So in that case, what are you going to do as ma'moon? Keep sitting. Wait for him to complete his rakah. When he says the salam, then you say the salam with him. No, in the third, fourth rakah, you have to recite it yourself. Okay? The imam's surah al-fatihah is not sufficient for you. Okay. So in summary, if the imam's prayer is invalid, that doesn't make the prayer of those who are following him invalid, except in certain cases. Okay, now what about the mistake in recitation? If the imam is reciting and he makes a mistake, what is the ma'moom supposed to do? There are two kinds of mistakes. One is a mistake in which, I mean it's a major mistake. The meaning is changing. Alright, the meaning is changing. So for example, he was reciting, let's say Surah Al-Arla, and uh, he shifts to Surah Al-Layl. You understand? Because there are some ayat which are very similar. So he doesn't realize and he switches. Now, it's it's a whole, it, it, it's going to change the meaning. Right? One is, وَيَتَجَنَّبُهَا الْأَشْقَى Right? And then it's, they're different. One is talking about the person who is going to go to hellfire and the other is talking about the person who will be saved from hellfire. Uh, so in this case, the meaning is changing. Then what should happen? The people who are praying behind him, they have to correct him. What do they have to do? They must correct him. But if it's a mistake in which the meaning is not changing drastically, or it's not changing that much. So for example, instead of mu'minin, he says mu'minun. It's a grammatical error, but it is an error. Uh, instead of saying falahum, he just says lahum. Okay? He misses a wow here. Changes a haraka here, there. It's a small error. Now sometimes change of haraka can have a big difference in meaning. Okay? So really, it depends on the error. If the error is minor, it's not really going to change the meaning that much. Or let's say there's a tajweed mistake. I mean, obviously people who know tajweed, they can pick out every little error. Right? Now, in this case, if they start correcting the imam, he might not be able to complete the prayer. Right? Or sometimes what happens is that, let's say children, they have, they have just memorized the juice and they're leading. And it's a very minor error. And if you correct them at that, they'll get frazzled for the rest of the prayer. And they'll keep making mistakes again and again. Right? So in that case, remember there's two options. One is that when it's a minor mistake, the imam is corrected. And the other is that he's not corrected. During the prayer, rather he's corrected after the prayer. Okay? So... Two kinds of mistakes. Major, that is changing the meaning. In that case, you have to correct. The other is that it's a minor mistake. You have the option. Correct him or not correct him. But you must make him aware of the mistake 
after the prayer for sure. Why? So that he can correct himself. What if he doesn't even realize? You know, look, because there are some surahs which we have memorized, and this is how we always recite it, and we don't really open up the mushaf to make sure we're reciting it correctly, and we might not realize our mistake. So it's the responsibility of the people who are praying behind to inform. Yes. Likewise, if the ayah is missed, if one of the ayat is missed, again, it's a major mistake. You praying with people and you... Yeah. Yeah. It does not invalidate the prayer, nor is it such an error which requires sajda sahu. Okay. Carry on. Now, let's say the imam made a mistake in his recitation and the person standing behind him, he said, subhanAllah, the imam, he didn't get it or he was confident about what he was reading and he continued. He's not listening. So in this case, what will happen? The ma'mum is going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't realize the mistake. And then after the prayer, he's going to correct him. You understand? Like for example, your son is reciting a surah and you say, you clap. He stops for a moment and then he carries on. You clap again. He ignores you completely and carries on. And after the salah, you're like, what happened? He's like, I was reading correctly. Why were you correcting me? I wasn't making any mistake. Alright? Because you see, in the prayer, you can't really have a conversation. So, I mean, somebody is making a mistake, you point that out. If they get it, good. If they don't get it, how are you supposed to make them understand during the salah? You can't do that. So you carry on, give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't understand, and after the prayer you inform him. So is it clear? Alright. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you, you recite, yeah, but let's say, uh, you do it, but still they don't get it. Or you think that they would understand themselves and they'll fix it, but they don't understand and they just keep reciting and uh, you don't get a chance to say anything. Exactly. Or sometimes a woman all the way at the back, the imam cannot hear. Yes. Okay. Now, all of this discussion, what does it show? That the imam's prayer is for him and the ma'mum's prayer is for him. Right? The imam's prayer is for him, the ma'mum's prayer is for him. And it shows that if the imam is making a mistake, that is significant. I mean, a major mistake even. And the ma'mum is praying behind him, he attempted to correct him, didn't work. What's the ma'mum doing? He's carrying on with his own prayer. Right? So what does it show? That if a person is praying behind someone who is sinful, and he doesn't have any choice. Like you see, uh, there was a man by the name of Hajjaj bin Yusuf. You heard of him? Hmm? I mean, he did tawbah before he passed away. But during his life, he afflicted a lot of you know, suffering on the believers. And there were Sahaba and the Tabi'een who prayed behind Hajjaj bin Yusuf. Because they didn't have an option. If they resisted him in any way, opposed him in any way, didn't pray behind him, they'd be finished. Right? So they didn't have an option. So what does it show? He's committing his sins. They are his responsibility. His prayer is not valid because of his bid'ah or because of his leaving out certain... That's his problem. The imam's prayer is his and the ma'mum's prayer is his. But the imam will not take the sin of all the people following 
Of course. And this is why the people who are following him, they should not be following him in, in what is wrong. Okay? So this is where we go to the next bab. Imamatil maftuni wal mubtadir. The imamah of maftun and mubtadir. Who is maftun? The one who is subject to fitna. Alright? Meaning one who is in fitna with regards to a matter of deen. Meaning in his religion, he is in fitna. And fitna over here means like a major sin. So for example, he deals with riba, like a lot. Not a little bit, but a lot. Or let's say, he has haram relationships with women. It's a major sin. Now, this is who? Maftoon. But if he is the imam, and it's possible, it is possible in certain situations where such a person is leading others in prayer. I mean, uh, just recently, uh, somebody informed me about this man who had sexual relationships with another man. And they would pray together in Jama'ah. You understand? Now, let's say these two people, they have a haram relationship and they are praying in Jama'ah. And there is another Muslim man who sees, okay, these two men are praying together, let me go join them. He goes and joins them. But the imam who's leading is committing a haram action in his life. And later on, this person finds out, the third person who came and joined them, that this is how this man is. Should he repeat his prayer? Was his prayer valid? What's the deal over here? Likewise, these days, I mean, you can't exactly interview every person. Do you do this? Do you do this? Do you do this? Do you do this? You can't do that. You go pray behind someone, and later on you find out that this is the kind of things that they do. So do you have to repeat all the prayers that you prayed behind them? So, Imamat al-Maftoon wal-Mubtadir and the one who is committing a bid'ah. Now remember that if there is a maftoon person, meaning one who's committing haram in his life, a major sin in his life, then if a person prays behind him, his prayer is valid. Hmm? Maftoon, I mean, his fitna, his sin is his. That's his problem. But the person who's praying behind him, the ma'moom, does he have to repeat his prayer? No, he doesn't have to. Is he allowed to pray behind him? Yes, he is allowed to pray behind him. And... So this shows that the imamat of a fasiq is valid because his sin is on him and for us is our prayer. And this is why we see that Sahaba, they prayed behind Hajjaj bin Yusuf. Okay? Now if you think about it, which person is sin free? Nobody. I mean, think about riba. Is it not a major, major ill? It is. Which person is exempt from it? Think about it. And if we, uh, you know, discriminate people in the sense that we don't allow them to be the imam based on their level of righteousness we won't find anyone who's perfect enough because everyone has their shortcomings so what do we learn that the imam his sins are his and the people who are praying behind him their prayer is theirs you understand so in that situation I mean if you have another option then you go there so for example in Jumu'ah khutbah, foul language is being used by the imam or uh, like you see that there is major, major errors being committed over there. So in that case, if you have an option of going somewhere else for Jumu'ah, do that. But if you don't have an option, that's the only masjid in the area. You're already in the congregation and if you dare to say something or you know do something afterwards, you're going to be in a lot of trouble because such people can also be very violent. 
then in that case remember that the sins of the imam are his and the prayer of the ma'mum is his okay then in that case the ma'mum does not have to repeat the prayer now when it comes to a mubtadir who is mubtadir the one who does bid'ah now if you think about it he is also maftun he is also in fitna in deen but remember that his fitna is greater and more specific because it is in his aqeedah it is in his faith all right so this is why he has been mentioned separately maftun is general okay and mubtadir is more specific and especially with regards to aqeedah maftun is in feral in action and mubtadir is primary sources the corrupt aqeedah now remember that there are two kinds of mubtadir one is such a bid'ati person whose bid'ah invalidates his islam meaning does not let him remain a muslim okay like magic is kufr right magic is kufr clearly and this person is openly doing magic but remember that bid'ah bid'ah is an innovation something that is innovated in religion okay I means something that is performed as part of religion you know as an act of worship like for example there are people who believe let's say about certain people certain individuals that they receive revelation or they are representatives of you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like certain imams and they even do sajda to them you understand now these people are they considered muslim by mainstream muslims no they're not considered muslim because their belief about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very corrupted about khatmur risala the seal of prophethood is also corrupted such people are not considered muslim even if they call themselves muslim the rest of the muslims don't consider them muslim you understand because they believe about certain individuals that they represent Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they will even do sajda to them they will even pray to them hmm? exactly they will put their pictures before them and then pray Yeah, so they have changed the religion even, that there's no five-time prayers, there's only two or three or whatsoever. Now this is such an innovation that has cancelled out their Islam. You understand? Tukafirul bid'ah, right? His bid'ah, it does his takfir. Okay? So in this case, you're not going to pray behind them. Why? Because how can you pray behind someone whom you don't consider a Muslim? You understand? Whom you don't consider a Muslim. They are not considered Muslim. Even if they call themselves Muslim, but in your heart, you don't consider them to be Muslim. Okay? And remember that the prayer of a kafir is invalid. So how can you pray behind a person whom you don't think is a Muslim? The other kind of mubtadir is one whose bid'ah, even though it may be major, it does not make him kafir. It does not invalidate his Islam. And there are many people who are Muslim, but who perform a lot of bid'ah, right? Whether it is in the form of certain celebrations or, you know, saying some things about the Prophet ﷺ. I mean, there are incorrect beliefs about the Prophet ﷺ also maybe. Shadow less Prophet or he was made of nur and he was not a human being and he hears our du'as and you you say salam to him and he will come and he will receive it. I mean, these are all innovations. But these innovations don't necessarily expel them from the fold of Islam. And this is the sad state of the majority of the Muslims. Okay? 
Now, let's say you, you go to a masjid. The salah was performed. And right after the salah, the imam is saying, Ya Latif, Ya Latif, like a hundred or something, you know, times. And everybody is reciting after him. And at that time you realize, oh, this is bid'ah. Was my prayer valid? Yes, it was valid. Because it is not such bid'ah that has expelled them from Islam. Yes. Exactly, that is also bid'ah. But again, remember that uh, that uh, distinguish it. Is it such bid'ah that will expel them from Islam, or is it such bid'ah that will not expel them from Islam? Okay, it depends. You have to, uh, and if you are unaware of what kind of bid'ah it is, if such people are Muslim or not, then ask the people of knowledge. All right. Yes. But again, it is of different levels. Okay? Uh, bid'ah in Iqidah. Uh, some, some bid'ah are such that will expel a person from Islam. It's absolute shirk. Like the first example that I gave you. But there is another Iqidah also that people have, let's say about the Prophet ﷺ, that he was not an ordinary human being. He was made of light. Okay? Now, this is a corrupt belief. It is an incorrect belief. But does it really expel them from Islam? Does it really make them non-Muslim? No, it doesn't. It doesn't make them non-Muslim. There's a huge difference, huge ikhtilaf over here, corruption in faith, but that doesn't make them non-Muslim. Like for example, Qadianis or Ahmadis. They're not considered Muslim by mainstream Muslims. Even though they call them Muslim, but they're not considered Muslim. There are multiple uh, fatawa issued with regards to them, that they are not Muslim because they believe in a prophet after Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. I mean, that clearly contradicts the Quran and Sunnah, right? So, in that case, I mean, you're not going to pray behind them. You're not going to go in their masjid and pray behind them. And if you did pray behind them, that prayer of yours was not valid. So you have to, okay? Because it's like you're praying behind a non-Muslim. What about, let's say? Shias and Sufis. Okay. Now again, there are different levels. Some are extreme, extreme in their beliefs. And others are not. And you will find that the majority are not extreme in their beliefs. I mean, they do have certain innovations, but that doesn't mean that they're outside of the fold of Islam. Each case will be different. Each case will be different. You can't just generalize. It's not like a blanket statement that you can put on a whole category of people. You have to analyze it. Okay. Now, when a person is praying behind someone who does commit bid'ah, but that bid'ah uh, does not invalidate their Islam, is it permissible to do to pray behind them? Yes, it is. But there is a condition. It is with the condition. And what is that? That as long as people don't think by your action of praying behind them that what they're doing is okay and you support them. You understand? I mean, if you make it clear to the people that we have these differences, they believe in this, they do this, I don't agree with it. But I will sit next to them. I will even pray behind them. However, I disagree with them when it comes to this matter. You understand? Is this permissible? It is. It's with a condition. You make it clear to the people. But if you don't say anything like that, and you sit next to them and you pray behind them, then what are you promoting? The acceptance. 
acceptance of something that you believe in your heart is wrong. But the other people are just going to look at your action. So, is it clear? Likewise, the Vidarati should not think because of your praying behind him that what he's doing is okay. He's upon truth. And you're okay with their wrong. So as long as the differences are made clear, and we see that majority of the scholars today, they make this known. I mean, they're teaching aqidah, they're teaching matters of faith. Uh, this is the, you know, the, this is the manhaj, this is the aqidah of, uh, you know, the salaf, and this is something that is different. I mean, they're clarifying it. But yet, when it comes to community efforts, they're together, even with people who have a completely different manhaj. I mean, that's for a greater cause. And that's perfectly fine. As long as they're making the sahih aqidah clear. It's a very important lesson really that because you will always come across people who are doing something that you don't agree with. Right? And there are many things. So it doesn't mean that you boycott everybody. I mean, if and this is the attitude of some people, boycott everybody and oppose everybody, then in that case you can't do anything. Then it portrays you as someone who who thinks of themselves as very righteous and very perfect. Arrogance. Right? So that that is not correct either. But at the same time, you don't say about the wrong that it is right. You have to make it clear that wrong is wrong. However, we will overcome these differences in the sense that when there is a greater cause, we will work together. But I still disagree with them when it comes to this matter. So many times I've seen my mother going to such gatherings where you know people will get together in Rabiul Awal and sing in praise of the Prophet ﷺ. She'd go there, but she would do her you know, speech, whatever, and she would leave immediately. Come only for that and leave immediately. And while they're standing, she wouldn't stand up. I remember in our school, they would have maulid every year. It was an official school event, annual event. And my sister, her Quran recitation was really good, so they always wanted her to participate. And myself also, they would want me to participate in something or the other. And I remember we'd be sitting on stage, but when everybody would stand for salam, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. We were told off a couple of times, but then they realized that these girls are not going to listen. So they also accepted us eventually. Right? So you can't completely boycott, but at the same time, you have to make the other person realize that I don't agree with you on this. I'll go along with you, but this is something that I disagree with. And I'm not going to support you in this cause. And this is why the statement of Al-Hasan al-Basri is very relevant. وَقَالَ الْحَسَنُ And Hassan al-Basri, he said, Salli. Pray, meaning behind a maftoon person, behind a bid'ati person, وَعَلَيْهِ بِدْعَتُهُ And on him is the sin of his innovation. His sin are his problem. And your prayer is yours. So you pray behind him if you have to. But remember that his bid'ah is his sin. It will not automatically transfer to you. Okay? قَالَ أَبُوْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ وَقَالَ لَنَا مُحَمَدُ بْنُ يُوسُفِ حَدَّثَنَا الْأَوْزَاعِيُّ حَدَّثَنَا الزُّهْرِيُّ عَنْ حُمَيْدِ بْنِ عَبْدِ الرَّحْمَانِ عَنْ عُبَيْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ عَدِيِّ بْنِ خِيَارٍ أَنَّهُ دَخَلَ عَلَى عُثْمَانَ بْنِ عَفَّانِ رضي الله عنه That Ubaidullah bin Adi, he came to who? Uthman bin Affan رضي الله عنه Uthman bin Affan, the third Khalifa. Right? Because remember that when Uthman became the Khalifa, some of the people from the Muslim uh, Empire basically they rebelled against him, right? Because they wanted, uh, first of all, revenge 
for the murder of Umar anhu, and secondly they didn't want Uthman anhu to be Khalifa instead they wanted that Ali anhu be the Khalifa so there was a lot of rebellion and a group of the rebels they came into Medina and they laid siege on the house of Uthman anhu, which basically meant that if he comes out we're going to kill him so this man Ubaidullah bin Adi he came upon Uthman anhu, meaning in his house وَهُوَ مَحْصُورٌ فَقَالَ So he said, إِنَّكَ إِمَامُ عَمَّةِ You are the imam of the people. You are our imam. وَنَزَلَ بِكَ And it has come upon you, مَا تَرَى What you see. Meaning this disaster has happened. وَيُصَلِّ لَنَا And he is leading us in prayer. Who? إِمَامُ فِتْنَةٍ The imam of fitna. Who is he referring to? He's saying that you are here trapped. You are supposed to be our imam. Do something because... This Imam of Fitna, meaning this leader of the rebels, who has come, he is leading us in prayer. And we're experiencing haraj, meaning we feel that we might be committing a sin, praying behind such as such a tyrant, such a rebellious individual. So in other words, he's encouraging Uthman anhu to take action against, because remember Uthman anhu, he didn't allow any bloodshed to be caused. I mean, if he if he wanted, he could have just instructed all of these people who have come, these rebels, kill them. Finish them. And that was easy. But he didn't want bloodshed to be caused in the city of the Prophet ﷺ because of himself. So, he came, this man, to Uthman urging him to instruct them to take some action against these rebels because he said that our salah, think about our salah, you're not leading us, this man, Imam Fitna, and who is this Imam Fitna? It is said that his name was Abdul Rahman Balawi, or he was Kinana bin Bishr, and he was basically the leader of the people who had laid siege to the house of Uthman anhu. He was one of the Khawarij. So he said, he is leading us in prayer. We feel that we're committing a sin by praying behind him. Our salah is not valid, because we're praying behind him. This is what we feel. فَقَالَ So Uthman anhu said, As-salatu, salah is, أَحْسَنُ مَا يَعْمَلُ النَّاسِ It is the best action that people perform. Meaning, yes, they commit many sins. They're wrong in many ways. But when they perform salat, salat is the best action that they can perform. فَإِذَا أَحْسَنَ النَّاسُ So when the people are doing something good, فَأَحْسَنْ مَعَهُمْ Then do good with them. وَإِذَا أَسَاءُ But when they're doing something evil, فَاجْتَنِبْ إِسَاءَتَهُمْ Then avoid their evil. In other words, yes, these people are khawarij. Yes, they have committed many wrongs. But... Think about the action of prayer. When they're performing prayer, that is a good action. So when they're doing something good, even if it's the only good action they're doing, then do it along with them. And when they're doing something wrong, laying siege, rebelling against the Khalifa, then don't cooperate with them. So what does it show then? What a beautiful lesson. That doesn't matter what people do in their lives. Right? I mean, yes, you should choose the best leader for yourself. But when you don't have that option, when the corrupt become leaders, then you don't have any option left. Then just remember that when they're leading in prayer, salah is the best action that a person can perform. So when they're doing good, do good with them. And when they're telling you to do something evil, don't cooperate with them in that regard. But it's amazing how today people are calling towards good and they're doing so many good things in their life. But when they start, when, when they stand in front of people as imam, Others are uncomfortable. But we can't pray behind him because his beard is not long enough and his this is not right and he said this once and he follows that opinion and he follows that. 
And in general, he's a good person. He hasn't murdered anybody. He's not a bid'arti. Because of differences with that individual, the imam, whatever differences they may be, they won't pray with him. Exactly. And this hadith also shows to us that in times of fitna also, jama'ah will be performed. You see, people were praying together. Even though the khalifa was trapped in his house, rebellion, all of this was going on. And we also see here that if there is a person who is maftoon, bid'ati, he is leading the people in prayer, what should you do? Should you pray behind him or should you pray yourself? Pray behind him. Pray in jama'ah. Pray in jama'ah. And just tell yourself, they're praying salah. I'm just supporting them in their salah. Everything else, I disagree with them. Exactly. It was a big test for the companions that they prayed behind the Prophet ﷺ and now they're praying behind this Imam of Fitna. وَقَالَ الزُّبَيْدِيُّ قَالَ الزُّهْرِيُّ Azuri, he said that لا we do not see أن that it should be performed, meaning the prayer should be performed خلف المخنث behind a مخنث person إلا except من ضرورة for a need لا بد منها other than which there is no option, meaning unavoidable. So in other words, he said that we do not think that anyone should pray behind a مخنث except when there is no other option. Okay? Meaning, it's not ideal to pray behind a مخنث, but when there is no other option and the مخنث becomes imam, then you don't really have a choice. Now who is مخنث? مخنث is basically an effeminate man. The person who is physically a man, meaning in his physical body he is a man, but in his nature, meaning his way of talking, uh, his style is is like that of women. Right? And such people are also known as transgender women. So effeminate men or transgender women. Uh, who are transgender women? They are people who were assigned male sex at birth. Alright? They were assigned male sex at birth. That they were declared as male when they were born. But they develop a female gender identity meaning they view themselves as a woman or they uh, consider themselves to be more like a female than a male. Now, and such people, they will, obviously if they feel like a female, they will naturally be amongst women more than they are amongst men, right? Uh, now remember, these are of two types. These are of two types, transgender women or effeminate men, they're of two types. One, uh, those whose nature is like that of women. Meaning, they are male in body, but they have a female gender identity. They view themselves as a woman. They are shy from men. They hesitate in going in front of men. They feel more comfortable wearing the clothes of women. You understand? They talk like that also. And they have no sexual inclination towards women. You understand? They don't find women attractive. You understand? But the other type is one who is inclined towards women. I mean, with all of these characteristics, they do find women attractive. You understand? They are attracted towards them. Now, why has Imam Bukhari mentioned this under this bab? Because this person is in fitna. It is a big test that they're in. A big trial. Right? I mean, there are physiological reasons behind all of this that a person... His physical body is different and he feels different. Right? This is a big fitna. 
So, such a person, who's physically a man, but feels like a woman, and such people were present at the time of the Prophet wasallam, and they would be amongst women, but one of them was overheard describing another woman in terms which were not that decent. And that showed that he was attracted to certain body parts of the woman or her style of walking because only a man would describe a woman like that. Right? So from that point onwards, the women were told to observe hijab from these particular individuals because even though they're very much like women, they're still male in them. They're neither men nor are they women, but women must protect themselves. This is why they were told to observe hijab from them. Now, just to clarify this a little bit more, a transgender, transsexual person is someone whose assigned sex does not match their gender identity. Okay. Now, this could be for various reasons. One is like a physiological imbalance. Another could be physical deformities also. I mean, and, and that also comes with a chemical imbalance in the body. If certain male hormone is more, female hormone is less, right? It can have an impact. And it can be from the early childhood. And it could also start spontaneously. But remember that this is a fitna that the person is in. And we must acknowledge it. Because we just think that if a person is feeling like this, they're just crazy. They're just making up excuses for committing haram. Right? But remember that this is, this is real. It happens. It's a big test for a person. And we must acknowledge it. And our responsibility is to help people who are in, you know, this situation. Now, if there is a person, I mean, physical deformity, you can't really do anything about it. You can't do much about it. Their chemical imbalance, okay, certain things are done to help them, but it can mess them up even more. And it happens. People get messed up even more. Just, you know, somebody was telling me about a case study in which they learned about this man who grew up at a very early age. Their private part was removed accidentally and the parents, they decided to raise that child as a girl. And they even had certain hormones, you know, injected in, into the body. But the child grew up feeling like a man still and insisted that I am a boy. Went through so much, you know, so many different procedures in order to become like a man, didn't work out and committed suicide eventually. And this is something that's real. So it is a fitna. And the thing is that unfortunately these people, either we laugh at them or we completely ignore them. We don't acknowledge their problem. This is a test that they're in, a big test. It's the test of that individual and the test of that entire family and the society also. Now, one more term that we must be clear on is a eunuch. Eunuch is a person who was born male, but was castrated. Meaning their private parts removed. Why? So that they don't have any desire and they don't have any inclination towards women. And obviously they cannot have children. And this was done in order to have these children perform certain roles in the society for their entire lives. So for example, in certain places, this was done to boys so that they would be servants within houses who could go between men and women. Likewise, it was done for the purpose of entertainment so that they would be entertainers. They would be singers and dancers. And it was also done so that they would perform certain roles. Like for example, I found out about Shakespeare his um, literature, I mean, the, but when they were performed, 
they would have such eunuchs perform them so that they would perform us for the rest of their lives. Now, in any of these cases, Mukhannath is who? The one who was male, alright, but has female gender identity. Whatever the reason was. An accident, a deliberate surgery, a person made that decision himself, whatever it may be. If he is the imam, then remember that Az-Zuhri, he said, we do not think that anyone should bear behind an effeminate man except when there is no other option. When there is no other option. I mean, there are no men, let's say, in a particular place. All the men are gone and there is an effeminate man. And there are some old old men who are not able to recite much Qur'an. Then in that case, Jama'ah is being performed. So this person, can he lead the rest in prayer? Yes, he can. This is an exceptional situation in which there is no choice. It's clear from their physical appearance. I mean, they look somewhat female, somewhat male. They dress up in a particular way. It's it's evident. But they can lead in prayer in these situations. حدثنا محمد بن أبان حدثنا غندر عن شعبة عن أبي التياحي أنه سمع أنس بن مالك قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لأبي ذر اسمع وأطع. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم told Abu Dhar, اسمع وأطع, listen and obey. ولو hmm? and even if it is who لحبشيون حبشي كأن رأسه زبيبة as if his head was like a raisin why is Imam Bukhari mentioned this hadith because head like raisin what does it show physical deformity physical deformity right now if this person can become the Imam the leader of the people right someone who is mutar meaning someone who should be obeyed who has a physical deformity in his head that shows that a person who has another kind of deformity in his sexual organs or inside his body, then if he has to be the imam, that should also be acceptable. Again, it shows the importance of congregation. And it's amazing. I mean, there's room for such people to do good. Because they also can do khair. But unfortunately, such people are considered what? Just entertainers. In, especially in Muslim societies. I mean, they're either dancers or singers, or they are made into prostitutes or, you know, something like that. They have no value. They're not taught, they're not educated, they're abandoned completely. Family feels ashamed of having such people. But what do we see here from this hadith? Isma' wa alti' wa ka'anna ra'sahu zabiba. It's the khair that is within, right? So attention must be given to this aspect of society also. I mean, it depends on how they're raised, right? Either such people are raised, you know, being made to feel bad about themselves, they're looked down on, they're bullied, or they're considered like an outcast who can do nothing, who can benefit nobody. So obviously, however a child is raised, whatever he's taught, that's what he begins to believe. That's how he views himself. Now in that case, remember, they're feeling like Let's say they're born male, and when they grow up, they feel more like female, right? And they want to change their gender. Should they do that? This is what? Changing the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And this is something that's, I mean, we're not allowed to change the creation of Allah, right? And remember, there are urges that we have that are wrong. Halal urges, fulfill them. But haram urges, or matters which are doubtful, what is necessary? That you just keep away from it. Right? And 
the more a person seeks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's help in fighting a wrong urge, the more reward he will get. Right? This is just like uh, there are people who have homosexual desires. Just like uh, a normal person has desires of zina. But just because a person feels like doing zina, does that make it okay for them? No. So just like that, a person who's having homosexual desires, that doesn't mean he should be fulfilling those desires. Right? And likewise, a person who feels like they want to change their gender, doesn't mean they should go ahead and do it, because this body is an amana on us. Right? And if a person gets into this, there is no end to it. Okay, inshallah, we'll end here. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Ashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayka. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.